Thank you. Um, morning, Gateway. Um, such a privilege to stand here and speak to you. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Zikamai, but you can also call me Ziki. And I've been coming to Gateway for the last eight years, so since I've been in um, Swindon, and I'm a mother of three girls. So, um, as Nigel was saying, last week, Kaz started to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and she was looking at love. Um, and I think the main thing that I got out of that message is actually love involves a dying to self. You know, if, if we are to love the way God speaks about, there needs to be a dying to self. And I guess that's where I'm going to continue from today. So, um, when Nigel told me that I would be speaking about this, I was actually quite nervous, but nervous for different reasons. You know, everyone knows 1 Corinthians 13, even if you're in the church or outside of the church, and love is quite a big topic, and sometimes I feel like it's talked about so much, and you think, where do I even start talking about love? Um, but I thank God that, you know, through reading and speaking to Kaz and stuff, um, I feel that this is what God has put on my heart uh, for today. So during this process of preparing, God has been doing so much work in my heart. You know, I felt so vulnerable, but I'm so glad that God revealed my heart to me. Because sometimes, you know, you, you know you're saved by grace. You know you, you know you're bad. But then actually sometimes you kind of say, actually, I'm okay. You know, I think um, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Well, at least that's how I feel sometimes. But actually, when I was given this passage, it also coincided with a very difficult time in my life. I was really suffering from bitterness, a lot of bitterness within my heart. And it was stemming from the fact that I had to resign from a job that I really loved. I really loved the job, and I could see myself where I was going to go and everything. But because of such a bad relationship in that job, in the end, I had to quit just because it was affecting all areas of my life. So at first when I quit the job, I was quite relieved, I was quite happy. Like, oh, at least I don't have to go back into that situation because I was finding it difficult to go to work. And I was really relieved. But after about probably a, a week or so, the bitterness just hit me. You know, I was really angry. I was, you know, I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I'd think about, I was like, honestly, you did that to me. Now I had to quit a job that I really liked. And also, one thing that really surprised me is the amount of, or the depth of the bitterness that I had within me. And it took quite a lot. And sometimes I would pray and I would be like, God, let, let me get rid of this bitterness. It's, I'm tired of it. And I was just finding it um, really hard. And then I had this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things, the characteristics that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is that actually love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I found that really difficult. I mean, I was praying, and I remember one Sunday coming into church, and I was praising, and I was lifting my hands, and I was like, oh, God can see my heart. You know, this is, you know, I felt like I was being fake and everything. But I want to thank God that he is a loving God, you know. Even when he exposes our hearts, he, he just doesn't leave us there. We don't feel condemned, but he's a father who will walk with us, who will restore us lovingly until we get to that place. And originally, this is not what I was going to share, but actually when I woke up, because I've got many things that God has been doing while I've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. But the reason why I'd forgotten this example is actually, I was telling my daughter, I don't remember when that bitterness stopped, because I, I was waking up every day and it was constantly on my mind. And then today, I suddenly thought, oh, I don't think I've thought of that situation for such a long time. So 
I think today as I share on 1 Corinthians 13, I really pray that God will open up our hearts, expose areas that we probably didn't know we needed to change, and in the process, you know, we will trust God to lead us, um, you know, to restore us and get us to the place where he intends us to be. Um, so I'll just start by 1 Corinthians 13, but I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And it says, um, love, so this is the English Standard Version. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then another version also says, love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And just as we start to look at this verse, we can see that love is absolute. You know, it's, it's uncompromising, it's resolute. You know, there's no wishy-washy, there's no like gray areas to say, because here it says all things or always. That means there's not, you know, there aren't any exceptions to say, okay, when it's like this, then maybe love, you know, that's too much for love. But actually, love is resolute. And um, of all the characteristics listed here in um, 1 Corinthians 13.7, they're all verbs, which means they involve doing, they involve action. So actually, love is not something that's passive. You know, we don't get to sit on the sidelines and look in and say, okay, that's what love kind of looks like. Love requires us for us to get our hands dirty. Um, so I'm just going to kind of look at what all the, the four verbs that are there mean. So it says love bears all things. And when we look at this word bears all things in the Greek, it talks about to cover over, to protect, so almost like to roof over. So love seeks to protect. And when we say love seeks to protect, it's not about uh, just brushing things under the carpet, ignoring what's going on, you know, not confronting people lovingly and in truth. But actually, what it means here, I can give an example. So from Genesis 9, 20 to 27, we see that um, Ham, so it's Noah's son, goes in and sees that Noah, his father, is drunk and naked. And what does he do? He goes out and lets his other two brothers know. But what is the reaction of those two brothers? They go in with something to cover their father, and they move with their backs towards their father so that they don't even see their father's nakedness. Why were they doing that? You know, to preserve his dignity. And that's what love that protects does. It sees that actually there's a weakness, there's this, but it doesn't seek to stand on a rooftop and shout. And another example in the Bible, if we look, is Joseph. You know, he was engaged to marry Mary. And then on hearing that actually um, Mary was pregnant and knowing full well that the child was not his, he didn't seek to go and say, I'm going to tell her relatives, I'm going to shout to the rooftops, I'm going to tell the whole village, everyone needs to know what type of person Mary is. But he resolved in his heart that he would divorce her quietly and not bring shame to her. That's what we mean when we say love protects. You know, so how are we with others? Do we seek to protect? So people in this body, are we seeking to protect them? When people are around us, do they feel safe? Is Gateway a safe place to be? 
or do people kind of have to not be themselves? So even if they're going through weaknesses or they've got weaknesses, that do they feel comfortable to be able to come here and be themselves and know that somebody is going to walk with them through whatever they're going through? Love seeks to protect. You know, even Jesus in his darkest hour, as he was on the cross, you know, people hurling insults, being lashed and everything, he still says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Love protects. And I think we need to be asking ourselves, like, am I, is it, am I somebody who's safe to be around, that people can be themselves and um, work through things with other people? So the next one is love believes all things. Love believes all things. And believes here is in the present tense. It's, it's the now. So whether it's tomorrow, it will be now, tomorrow. So love is a daily thing and it's active. Love believes all things. And again, we're not talking about being gullible or love being naive. But actually, we're saying that love is about... When we say love believes all things, it's about having a faith that we can entrust somebody's well-being to God. You know, it is a reliance and confidence that actually God has a saving power and can save that person. So despite what we see of that person in the present, you know, love believes all things. It is about believing what is best for other people despite what their current situations. So are we quick to pick out people's flaws? You know, if we hear something about a brother or sister in the body, are we like, I knew it, there was something not quite right, I just, I knew it. Or are we people who will actually wait and believe the best in those people. And yes, if there's something, we're going to walk alongside them or help them. Or are we quick uh, to judge? Do we see people through God's eyes? You know, God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in his image. Is that how we see one another? Or do we choose to pick out the flaws? You know, like what Morty was saying, that, you know, sometimes the devil will isolate so that he can magnify those different problems in our lives. But are we people who look and see what God sees in people. So the next one is um, love hopes all things. Hopes all things. So hope here, it kind of looks similar with beliefs, but actually it looks into the future. So love looks to the future with an expectation of good, with a confident expectation of good. So no matter what... Uh, somebody might be doing or struggling with at the moment, no matter how many chances somebody's had or how much help or how much time you've spent with somebody, love hopes all things. Love doesn't stop and say, no, they've had enough chances, but love carries on. So even if we look at Jesus and his disciples, these are guys who'd been with Jesus all the time. He, there are many instances we can pick out. We can even look in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying and he was in turmoil and he goes with his disciples, he says, wait here while I go further and pray. And he comes back and they're sleeping. This happens three times. But Jesus doesn't kind of leave and say, okay, I'm not going to the cross. These people, you guys have been with me and you know and this is how you act. But no, Jesus says, actually, come, let's go. My hour has come. There was that confident expectation that actually what he has begun in the disciples' life will be seen to completion. And are we the same with other people? Or are we writing people off? So, and the last one is love endures all things. It perseveres. It never gives up. It cannot be defeated. 
It goes right to the end. It never walks away. Love doesn't know how to give up. It's not in its vocabulary to give up. Love is uncompromising in its resolve. You know, Jesus, for the joy that was said before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the right hand of the Father. He did it for love. He did it for the joy that was said before him. And in Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So it doesn't stop. New every morning. So no matter what has happened yesterday, they are new. You, you get to start again. Every moment it has to start again. So actually, just looking at that, you see that it's quite, love is quite a costly thing, isn't it? It's quite, it's quite a commitment. Um, so it involves dying to self, like what Kaz was saying last week. It, is, it no longer becomes about us. You know, we cannot say, oh, I've done this. It, it's no longer about us, but it, it's about what we are a part of. You know, we are part of Christ's body. We are a body together. So we, we, and we have to look after one another. So I don't know if this saying is common here in the UK, but in Zimbabwe, we always used to say one man for himself and God for us all. But love says no. Love says it's not about the individual, but it's about us together as a body. So um, because of that, it's quite countercultural, isn't it? Love requires us to get out of our comfort zones, uh, to do things that we shouldn't do. I mean, to do things that we're not really comfortable with, just so that we can reach to the next person or we can be helping the next person. So I remember um, last year when they said, oh, would you like to co-lead a, um, a small group. I'd been in a small group, really enjoyed it, really grew in faith, was really encouraged, and I knew I had to do it. But people who know me know I do not like to host. One, because I can't cook. Two, our house, despite the fact that we're all girls in our house, our house is quite untidy. You know, we kind of are chilled about tidying up, that kind of thing. And I was just so worried. I was like, oh, now I have to kind of get my house together. I have to and I really struggled with that. Not, I wanted the, the community to have people over, but I just couldn't get over the fact that people would have to come to my home and really struggled with that. But actually, I want to thank God that I was able, um, that he enabled me to get over that, my discomfort. Because actually now we have a small group in our area and... Our small group is unique in that we can we allow children to come in. So some people who would have wanted to do cell group but had children and couldn't go to any other groups are able to come to ours. So love gets out of its comfort zone. Love doesn't think about itself, but it thinks about the body and what it can do for the body. Um, and then the next thing, it's a decision, it's a commitment. Love, you have to make a choice. It doesn't come, you can't say, oh, I'll wait until I have the affection. It's not about affections. It's about, uh, you know, it's, you have to make the decision to say, I want uh, to love. So it is a daily dying to self. It is a daily choice that we have to make. You know, we don't get the choice to give up on loving. We have to do it daily. And I was talking to Cass the other day, and we're, we were discussing about before they... 
um, I don't know if you know about what they call treasure hunting, where you go into the high street and you kind of pray and say, God, lead me, who, who do you want me to speak to or do that? And usually sometimes when you do that, some people are not very receptive, but usually when you go there, you're, you're so like hopeful, you're so loving. So even if people are short with you or if people ignore you, you don't really care because you know, you're, you're doing it with the eyes of love, I guess. But then how are we when we go to the high street on a normal day to run errands? How are we when we're in the bank queue and maybe somebody's taking too long or this or somebody seems to have pushed in? Do we still look at people with the eyes of love or you're like, no, this is not what I'm doing today. It's about me and I'm about my business. Love doesn't get to take a break. It's a daily decision that we have to make. And love conquers all. It's victorious. Um, it never gives up. It doesn't know how to. And love is the perfect law of freedom because nobody or anything can stop you from loving. So even if it's their attitude, if they're short with you, whatever they've done to you, it's, it's not a reason. You know, love doesn't say, okay, if the person is like this, then you, you're, you're exempted from loving. But love, we have to love um, everyone. And also love is Christ pointing. It points us to Christ. Love can bear believe, hope, and endure because Jesus bore, believed, hoped, and endured. Love points us to Jesus in whom we see love in all its perfect form. In Jesus, we see love in all its beauty. And when we begin to love each other the way God has loved us, even those that are out there can see the beauty of love and it will attract them to come and also be part of the body. You know, Jesus says that our identifying characteristic in the world is going to be that we love one another. That's what he says. He doesn't say, oh, the world will know that you are my disciples or that you are Christians with the amount of dreams you can interpret or uh, maybe by the amount of healings or stuff, but he says by the way that you love one another. So I think it is really important that we love one another. Uh, but the good thing about this is that actually... Our love is powered by the Holy Spirit because when I look at it, it's almost impossible always, all the time, all things. But we thank God that, you know, it's not by our efforts. God has poured out his spirit in abundance and without measure. And through him, we are able to love. But I think maybe just to close and just to talk is what does it mean for us and how can we love one another? Because I think that's what's important. We know what it is. But actually, how can we then begin to love one another? We know that love is proactive. You need to be active. You know, love needs to seek out God. It says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He came down. He sought us out, you know. And we have to do the same. We have to be proactive. We can't wait and say, oh, if somebody passed by and I get an opportunity, I'll do it. We need to seek out those opportunities um, to love one another. And I think, because I was thinking about this, because sometimes it applies, it's, it's me as well, but sometimes when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we can say, actually, we're not doing that bad. You know, actually, on the whole, I'm a loving person. Yeah, on the whole, I, I can be quite kind, I can be gentle. I'm patient, you know. Even when we go and have coffee there, if somebody goes in front of me and it, I was the one who was next. You know, I'm patient. I'll, I'll let them pass through, you know. So we can sometimes look at 1 Corinthians 13 and think, actually, I'm patient. But then 
I think we think this way sometimes because we haven't really had opportunities to love. Like we haven't really stretched ourselves or given ourselves opportunities where we've had to love. So, for example, maybe you come every Sunday faithfully, you walk in through the doors, you're polite. If people say hi, you say hi. Maybe sometimes you even instigate and say, oh, hello. And then maybe you exchange pleasantries. Hi, oh, have a good week. Oh, see you next week. And then you go home. It will be easy to be patient. It will be easy to be kind. Because actually there isn't that interaction, there isn't that relationship um, for you I mean, to experience this. And I think that's what sometimes, as a body, we like that. Are we really connected in a point that actually we get to practice this love or we get to give um, this love? But however, if we decide that we want closer relationships where we get to know each other, not just from the surface here on a Sunday, it will require that we have patience. It will require that we don't keep a record of wrongs. We forgive each other. Because the body is made up of diverse people, you know, different backgrounds, different cultures, different political views. So people are going to clash, you know, it's not going to be easy. And then we said we want to be involved in each other's lives because we're a part of a body. And then some people are really organized, every, you know, they have everything. And then others, they don't even know what they're doing in the next hour. You know, some people are very late, they keep time, they're always on time. Others are going to be late all the time, despite what things you might say, you know, to help them. And yet we're saying if we want to be connected, if we're working together, we're going to be needing all these things that are being talked about, that we have to endure, that we have to believe. Um, Then, you know, we'll require those things. So my question is, are you connected? Are you connecting the body? We've been looking at being part of a body. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, the, the body has to function. You know, okay, it's one body. It's so different. My looking at my fingers so different from my eyes. But actually, they need each other. So even if I was gardening, as I'm doing my work, my eyes have to be looking and doing whatever. But they're a function. Every part has to function. And my question is, are you a functioning member of this body? Or are you just a visiting part? You know, God has placed unique gifts in each and every one of us. We're all a part of the body. So if as a part of the body, you're not really participating in the body, the body is lacking something. You know, maybe you're that encouragement that somebody needs. Maybe there are new people walking through these doors um, who need somebody to walk alongside them. Maybe they're so lonely. Maybe you are that person who's able to do that. So we need to really question ourselves and say, am I connected? Am I being part of the body? And we, we really need to get out of our comfort zones because it's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing, but we have to uh, do that. And then I'm just going to read from 1 John 3. Verse 11 to 18. I don't have my glasses, but I'm sure I'll do okay. (sighs) Okay. So, and this is from the Passion Translation. The beautiful message you've heard right from the start is that we should walk in self-sacrificing love towards one another. We should not be like Cain who yielded to the evil one and brutally murdered his own brother, Abel. And why 
did he murder him because his own actions were all evil and his brother's righteous. So don't be shocked, beloved brothers and sisters, if you experience the world's hatred. Yet we can be assured that we have been translated from spiritual death into spiritual life because we love the family of believers. A loveless life remains spiritually dead. Everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of his great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory. We only, uh, an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know the truth with we know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. We will experience God's love for us as we express love to other people. You know, sometimes we're always praying, I need more of you, Lord. I need more of you, Lord. Come, Lord, I want to experience your love. I want to share your love. But actually, we have to step out as they're saying in 1 John 3, and as we begin to show other people love, we experience God's love by um, uh, loving other people. So are we genuinely involved in one another's lives? You know, love is what brings all the parts together. So there are many ways that we can become connected if you're not already connected. Are you part of a small group? And the nice thing here in Gateway, the groups are so diverse. You know, it's hard, like, on a Sunday just to meet someone and then start talking about deep stuff. But let's say you decide, actually, I'll be playing football. I'm going to join the football small group that's at Gateway. As you begin to play football with, with, with other people, that's when you begin to experience life together. You know, you have to connect for, you, for us in order to be connected and help each other. Because I think sometimes we kind of say, oh, I've been coming to church. For, I haven't been coming to church for the past three weeks and nobody has um, even called or said anything. But we need to be connected to people so that people can look out for us and we can look out for other people. And also with serving. When I was preparing this, I, I got thinking that, you know, serving is another way that we can become connected to the body. But also we need to be careful that sometimes it's not just superficial. So I'm thinking, I do children's church. With the people who I serve with as children's church, do, am I really connected with them? Or do we just meet on a Sunday before and just say, okay, this is what we're doing with the children. You do this bit and I do this bit and then we go our own ways. Or do we seek to develop relationships? Do we seek to meet outside of children's church to get to know each other and stuff? Because I really believe like the body has so many needs. You know, somebody's way, we all have got all our different uh, talents and gifts here, but unless we are connected, we're not going to see the body working the way that Christ intended. Um, so serving is another really good way. There's so many ways that we can serve within the church, and that way we become connected. Um, 
even prayer meetings as well. I'm sure I've said this before. When I started coming to pray to prayer meetings, it was actually from a selfish point of view. I did it because I was just really struggling in my life. I had just so much going on, and I was like, maybe if I go and they'll pray for me and then maybe I'm going to see a turnaround. I, I actually started going out of self. You know, I just wanted somebody to pray with me and I just wanted a breakthrough or a miracle to happen. But as I began going to those prayer meetings, you know, you, you begin to encourage one another. People are praying about different things. We're praying about Swindon. We're praying about this. And then you get caught up in the purposes of God. They're not just your own purposes. Yes, you still pray about that, but it doesn't become... You, you, you move away from self-centeredness, but actually you then begin to think as a body as opposed to just thinking of, oh, poor me, God, where are you? Come and help me all the time. Um, and then you also get quite a lot of encouragement. And also I want to say, when I was dealing with the bitterness that I had, I was con I'm connected, so I had people in the body. So people like Anita, my small group and cousin would meet up and would talk and would pray and they would speak life. But imagine if I wasn't connected, that would have been a very difficult um, period for me. Well, it was difficult, but I'm sure it would, have, it would have even been worse. So not wanting to condemn or anything, it's just asking. I think we need to ask ourselves the questions. Are we connected? And if we are, is it superficial or we're really trying to seek out and go deep um, so that we can grow as a body the way Christ intended. So in closing today, I think it's appropriate that we have a response. We need to look in our hearts and see, and maybe ask ourselves and say, you know, am I a functioning part of the body? You know, what am I doing towards the growth of the body, towards the, you know, the well-being of the body? And I, I just pray that each and every one of us, that God will reveal our hearts. And he's such a good God because he then doesn't say, yes, you haven't been doing this. But actually, he, he reveals our hearts so that he can restore us. And um